You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Year of Fulfillment, Part 4. Enjoy. So we've, been, we've been talking about the year of fulfillment, 2017. What a year we have begun. We're in the first month of that year. Jesus declared after he came out of the desert in Mark, I believe it's chapter 1, he says, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. I'm here to fulfill the law, to do everything that is required so that you could become God's sons and daughters. And he declared that it is finished on the cross. What a statement. It's an accounting term that means paid in full. So before Jesus gave up his spirit and he did it willingly, no one made him do it, right? He said, paid in full. It is finished. And he hung his head and his spirit went up or down? Down. Why did it go down? He became sin for us. Jesus went to hell. I know religion gets mad when people say that, but the Bible teaches that. If Jesus didn't go to hell, we have no redemption. I'm sorry, but it's true. We needed to be redeemed from, from the, the punishment of hell. And the Bible teaches Jesus went there. Right? He bore it for us. He was the what? The firstborn from among the who? Yeah, firstborn. Yeah? That means he, that mean, how could he be the firstborn if he didn't die? I know this is hard for religious minds because you've been trained wrongly. Death means separated from God. Stay with me. We're going to get into this. It will help you, all right? Jesus on the cross was separated from his Father because he became sin for us. But that didn't last because he was righteous, wasn't he? Yeah. Right? On the third day, what happened? God raised him up from where? From the living? No, from the dead. How can you be raised from the dead if you don't die? How can you have a resurrection if there's no death? Right? It's funny. I, I, this, <laughs> I mean, if, if religious people would just use a little common sense, they'd, they wouldn't be so angry. They're, they're happy to talk about the resurrection, but people will fight you over whether or not Jesus died. Well, how can he rise from the dead if he didn't die? Really? Isn't that simple? Oh, my. God, you're so good. So we're paid in full. The debt's been paid. The distance between heaven and earth is canceled through simple faith in what Christ has done for us. So last week, we, we looked at grace. And I love that an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a great definition of grace, God's unmerited favor. We looked at, a, at another definition of grace, a, a uh, um, a wider understanding of it. We said grace is the operational power of God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Grace is, the, is God's power in operation. Is that fire too hot? Are everybody warm? Feeling good? All right. For by what grace you have been, it's past tense, it's done already, it's finished, paid in full, you have been saved. What is that word, S-A-V-E-D in the Greek? Anybody know? S-O-Z-O, sozo. What does that word mean in the Greek? Made whole. Set at one again. Not talking about going to heaven. Talking about being whole. I hope you're willing to change God has changed for you. He has good things for you. But you got to let go of wrong thinking. 
Because there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of it in churches. A lot of wrong thinking. But we're here to help you be free from that. To come into the reality of what Christ has done. For by grace, the operational power of God, you have been made whole, set at one again through faith. And that, not of yourselves, we didn't do this, God did it. He loved us first, right? It is the gift of God. You can't earn a gift. You can't pay for a gift. If you do, it's not a gift, right? So grace is God's power in action. Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. Okay? Faith is our response to his action. Faith is not a thing that stands out here by itself. Grace is. In other words, grace is something God did. And no one can change that. Faith is a personal thing that is not dependent upon God. It's dependent upon me. You understand what I'm saying? Grace he did. Faith is something I do. But all my faith does is open the door for his grace in my life. It doesn't save me. It enables me to receive the salvation, the wholeness that he already provided for me through his son. Okay? This was a big deal in the history of the church, right? Big deal. The church, and this, you saw this thing right after Jesus ascended. They started getting into works again, right? They were rebuked for, for putting their faith in the religious works by Paul. And that really became an issue throughout the history of the church, right? And, and someone came along uh, and, and, and said, wait a minute, I think we're saved by grace through faith. And that changed the world, didn't it, right? Well, it's true, okay? So faith is a response to who God is and what he's done for us, all right? Faith has to be in someone or in something. There's no such thing as blind faith. So God's power provided salvation for us, all right? We said this last week, the unfinished, unfulfilled areas of your life will be finished and fulfilled by His grace. The year of fulfillment. The unfinished, frustrating, the unfulfilled areas of your life will be finished, completed, and fulfilled by His grace. All right? Listen, we didn't start our walk with Christ based on our own works. We didn't start our walk with Christ on faith to all of a sudden then shift to our own efforts. Last week, we're not going to read it again, but in Galatians chapter 3, this is what they were being rebuked for by the Apostle Paul. He said, who's bewitched you? They were putting their faith in circumcision instead of what Christ did for them. And in chapter 5, verse 4, look what Paul says about this. The Holy Spirit through Paul says about faith in your own efforts instead of faith in what Christ has done for you. Look at this. Christ is become 
of no effect unto you. I don't want to be in that place. Didn't Jesus say you made the word of God of no effect by your tradition? Uh-oh, a lot of tradition I've seen in churches that make the word of God of no effect in people's lives. And they leave church and they start looking for wholeness in other places. They'll go to, to, to all kinds of different types of counselors and, and professional people looking for wholeness. But you start talking about healing in church, they get mad. Where does healing come from? The Father, right? Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever are justified by the law, right, by trying to do everything right, right? You have fallen from grace. So what does fallen from grace mean? You're living life in your own strength. I've heard that term be used when, when a Christian sins. They, oh, they've fallen from grace. That's not falling from grace. Falling from grace is putting your faith in your own efforts and strength instead of in what Christ did for you. Hello? All right? I like how the message says it. Let's put that up there. I suspect you would never intend this, and people don't. They don't realize what they're doing. You know, the, a lot of these religious doctrines that have creeped in over the years, they don't realize the full effects of them. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. Whether you mean it or not, this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, <laughs> you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. You're telling me I can go to church seven days a week and do everything the minister tells me, and I can, I can, Christ can be of no effect to me? Yes. I can be outside of the grace of God? Yes. And it's happening to millions of people every week. They're living their life outside of grace. Christ is of no effect to them because their faith is in their tradition. Their faith is in what mom and dad or grandpa or their minister has told them, and it's not in what Christ has done. It's time for that to stop right here, right here in New England. That's why we started this place, to give, to give people an opportunity to be free from man's religion and tradition and come into the liberty and freedom that Christ has provided. Amen. How are we doing? Are we okay? Are you letting the Holy Spirit in? Are you letting him move and, and shift things around on the inside? Don't be afraid. So the sacrifice of Jesus brings fulfillment. Year of fulfillment. The sacrifice of Jesus enables us to experience daily the grace of God. And no one can stop it. How? No one can stop it. So the sacrifice of Jesus has enabled us through simple faith in what he's done to live in the operational power of God to flow continually and freely in our lives. Now, we looked at the Old Testament tabernacle. You remember that? Last couple of Sundays, we saw that it was a foreshadowing of the finished work. Let's go ahead and put a picture up there again. We're not doing an in-depth study on this. We're just hitting the highlights here. But we saw the three main sections of the Old Testament tabernacle, the outer court, right there where the bronze altar is and the bronze laver. And then beyond the first veil is the holy place. Everything's covered in gold there, no bronze in there. And then in the holy of holies, everything's covered in gold there. 
All right? We know, just a reminder of what we, because this is relevant to a year of fulfillment, the finished work of Christ. This was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do for us. The outer court is symbolic of the cross. The bronze is symbolic of the judgment of God. This is the place of sacrifice. This is where the judgment of God fell. It's where blood was. It's where loss happened. All right? Jesus said, if I, just like Moses lifted up the serpent. Remember the bronze serpent? Symbolic of judgment. I must be lifted up. All right? That was, that was the place of great suffering, of loss, of blood, of judgment. But that's not where they were to stay. Too many Christians are living there. All right? The cross was not God's goal. You've heard me say that. I'll say it uh, over and over again because people need to know this. The resurrection was the goal. The cross was the means to the goal. Okay? So don't live at the cross. We daily remind ourselves, like we did with communion, of what Jesus did for us at the cross. And we are grateful, more grateful than we could ever express for the cross. But we recognize that he, the cross was, was put into effect so that we can come into his presence. All right? So we've gone beyond the cross and we've gone beyond the first veil into the place of God's provision. Right? The bread of his presence is there. Jesus said healing is the children's bread. It's the basic fundamental provision for God's children. Healing. It's beyond that veil. If you're living at the cross, you won't see it. Right? This is why people become so critical of those who've gone, gone beyond the first veil and the second because all they can see is judgment and loss and sacrifice. But here we are where, where there's no bronze, just gold. Right? Gold and provision. The presence of God and they don't understand that. But this is where we live. We've gone into the holy place. We've received His provision and we've gone beyond the second veil in the presence of God. Right? Where His mercy is and His presence is. And you remember in the holy place, there's the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat is above it. What's below the, the mercy seat in the Ark? Do you remember? The law. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay? What's above mercy? The presence of God. God's not in a little box with the law. He's above. He's above the mercy seat. Right? He lives with mercy. Right? The law came through who? Who'd the law come through? Moses. Right? Who did grace and truth come through? Jesus. Jesus didn't bring the law. In your Bible, John chapter 1. You ready to be free? Come on. We're not holding back. We're going, we got, we got things to do. We got places to go. We've got to be free. We can't have any shackles on. It's time for people to see the real Jesus. It's time, to, it's time for religion to go bye-bye. This is real life we're living. This is no game. The, the devil knows what I'm telling you. He just doesn't want you to know it. Hallelujah. So Jesus, he's unlike anyone before him because he exampled this intimacy with God as his father and man. No one had ever done it before. And it made the religious people really mad. In fact, uh, was it Mark, um, Mark chapter 14? He called God his Abba Father. Now this word Abba in Vine's Expository Dictionary it gives us an understanding of it. But it says the word Abba was a word that slaves were forbidden to use when addressing the head of the household. It's a word a slave couldn't say. It was reserved for the children and the heirs of the estate. Abba, Father. 
So I like how he said Abba and Father. Abba, it's a word that, it's a simple word anybody can say, right? Abba. It's a word that little infants can say. It's a word that communicates an unreasoning trust in God. This is just from Vine's Expository Dictionary. I'm not making this up. All right? An unreasoning trust in God. Why is that so important? Because so many have reasoned their way out of the provision of God for their lives, either through religious doctrine or other people's philosophies. Reasoning won't get you there. Faith will. Unreasoning trust and blind faith are totally different. There is no such thing as blind faith in our relationship with God. Blind faith makes no sense when you know it. Faith enables us to see, not blind us. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Okay, so that whole concept of blind faith, get it out of your head. There's none of that with your father. He, faith is confidence in what he's done for me. So as I learn what he's done for me through the scriptures, my faith grows. Okay? Hallelujah. So Abba Father, it's this unreasoning trust of a little child, but then Father communicates this intelligent understanding of where I come from. Jesus said, Abba Father, I, 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 I love you and trust you like a little child trusts his father, but I also understand who I am and where I came from. Why did he, why did he do it? So you could call God Abba Father so that you could have that unreasoning trust of a little child, but also the intelligent understanding of who you are and whose you are. Right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. The message translation of verse 46, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of ourselves. Yeah, let's go, let's go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Let's do it in the uh, New King James. So Jesus did all this so that you could call God Abba Father. But look what, he, look what he said on the cross. This has been missed by so many, but it's so relevant to the year of fulfillment. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why didn't he say Abba Father, Abba Father? Why did he say my God, my God? This is the moment when he became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, he had to say God because Abba Father will never forsake you. <laughs> sin doesn't know God as Abba Father. To sin, God is a God of judgment. Look at the message translation, verse 46. Jesus groaned out of the depths. That means his very spirit. This was all the way to the core of his being. He groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Let me ask you a question. Do you think of and respond to God more as your Abba Father? Or as God? 
I want to encourage you to start now, from this moment on, thinking of him as your Abba Father. Of course he's God, but he's our Abba Father. And he'll never forsake us. He'll never turn his back on us. So on the cross, for th- from this moment for three days, Jesus lost his father-son relationship because he bore our punishment. We're not saying anything blasphemous here. This is what the Scriptures teach, whether you realize it or not. He was representing you at that moment. Right? Man, man had a, a blood covenant with Abraham, but Israel, they were his chosen people, but they couldn't become his sons and daughters. They had to be born again. And that couldn't happen until Jesus died on our behalf. All right? So Jesus lost his father-son relationship because he was representing us. He was carrying our sins so that today we could be sons and daughters and say, Abba, Father, all the time. All right? Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, which means we had it before. Right? We all fell from grace. Not from grace. That's not correct. We all fell short of the glory of God. We all fell short of the glory of God. Right? We were in bondage to fear. A Christian should not be a fearful person. God's perfect love will get rid of every fear if you'll let him. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry what? Abba, Father. Right? We have unreasoning trust in him, and we have an intelligent understanding of who he is and whose we are, where we come from. Right? Hallelujah. Okay, let's see here. I always got to pause, make sure we're getting everything because <laughs> it's so good. So you being God's son or daughter was his dream. You know, God has dreams. God hated the separation that sin brought about between us and him. He doesn't hate people. A boy hates sin because it separates it, it cripples. It kills. And his dream was to see mankind born of him and living life united with him again as Abba Father. Hey, in 2017, we're living out God's dream for our lives. We're sons and daughters now. We're the heirs of the estate. We're not slaves anymore. We're sons and daughters. We're free from condemnation. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from it forever. Now, a father never wants any of his children to think they don't belong. Never. I mean, if we were home and one of my kids just went off uh, over in the corner by themselves with a, with a, a, a rejected look on their face, I would be immediately respond, like, what's going on? What's wrong? Because I want every child in my family, and I'm just a, a man, to know they belong and that there are good things in store for them, that they have a lot to be excited about. Well, how much more is God that way? This is God's dream, to bring you into his family so that you can live the abundant life his son came to give you. And we're living that dream. We're living the dream in 2017. Living the dream in 2017. We're living the dream in 2017. Hallelujah. Let's look at this dream in the Scriptures, John 3, 16. 
in the Scriptures. This is God's dream. That you can enjoy this loving father-son relationship without hindrance, without exception, without interruption for the rest of your lives. That's why he sent his son. Verse 16, for God so loved, not hated, loved the world. What says the world is talking about people. You understand that, right? Not talking about trees. All right? I just want you to understand that. He's talking about people. All right? God so loved people. I was talking to a, uh, someone I just met on the phone in another part of the country. I thought it was so funny. And we were laughing. We were having a good time. And he said, uh, he's just kind of getting to know me, where we're from. And I told him we started a new church. And he said, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I'm, I'm in the true denomination. And he started laughing. He said, yeah, we love Jesus and hate everybody else. He said, <laughs> he was laughing. Now you can, it's okay to laugh, right? But why did he even say a joke like that? Because that's the impression people get from so many Christians, right? Well, we love Jesus, but we hate you. No, God loved people. He still loves people. So what do we do? We love people. We're not mad at them. We don't hate them. We love them. So if we're going to, you know, stand up for something we believe in and, and have a march, we've got smiles on our faces. We're happy. We're not... That's not us. Why? Because God loves people. He loves people who hate Him. He loves them. He loves people who spit on I used to be a hater, a God hater. But He loved me. And because He loved me, now I love Him. Love is the only thing that can destroy hate. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only. So love causes us to give to people who hate us. Wow, is that different, huh? But you received the spirit of adoption, this same spirit of love is now ours, by whom, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped back to the previous verse. <laughs> it's all right, it's all good. Uh, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, it's all by faith, right? That's our part. In him, that's his part, shall not perish but have eternal life. Then coming to Highway Church, you, not, you know that high, eternal life is not going to heaven. If you have eternal life, you will go to heaven, but that's not what eternal life means. That's shocking the most, again, because of what they've been taught. Let's let Jesus define eternal life for us. Again, we've got to hit this because it's such a common uh, misunderstanding. It's John 17, 3. What does Jesus say eternal life is? This is from the king. I'll take the king's definition seven days a week over any scholar. Right? Over any theologian, every philosopher, I'll stay with Jesus. Are you willing to stay with Jesus? Even if the leading theologians call you a, 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 a slanderer or a, um, an infidel, they call Jesus demon-possessed. Wow, what a mistake, huh? Right? So man makes mistakes in his, in his self-righteousness. But this is what Jesus said eternal life is. This is eternal life that they may... Know you, K-N-O-W, same word used for Joseph and Mary in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus, excuse me, Joseph knew not his wife until after Jesus was born. Same word. What is Jesus taught? Eternal life is union with God. Intimacy with the one who made you. And it comes, how did John 3.16 say it? It comes by believing in whom he sent. 
So when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm united by the power of the Holy Spirit with God. I know him now. There's nothing between him and me anymore. Who do you think you are? Do you do everything right? No, I don't. I can't. I've tried. I've tried it that way. Wore myself out for years trying to get everything right to please God. You can't do it. If you miss it once, you've missed it all as far as the law is concerned. That's how the law is set up. You either obey every jot and tittle perfectly 24-7 for your entire life from moment one, or you've blown it all. No one can do that. All right? Jesus did it for us. So this is eternal life. Let's go back to verse 17 of John chapter 3. For God did not send... God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge. So we don't judge. Right? Two, what is, now there are two definitions of judge. The definition he's talking about here is clarified in the Amplified. Reject. Condemn. Pass sentence on people. We don't do that. There's another type of judging that we do, and it's discerning what's right and wrong. That's different. We can, Jesus talked about, you know, judging or discerning the fruits of a person's life. That we do. We don't condemn them, but we're wise. We're innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. So we discern what is right and wrong. We discern, we judge in that sense, but we don't judge in a passing sentence, condemning sense. You understand the difference? Okay? Words have multiple definitions. You have to understand them in the right context. Okay? but that the world might find salvation. What's that word in the Greek? S-O-Z-O. What's it mean? Wholeness. Soundness, that's right. Be set at one again. Right? So that the world might find wholeness. So there's no wholeness in judgment. There's death in judgment. That's the wages of sin, death. That's what the law demands. You're not going to bring about life in someone's life by condemning them, all right? By loving them. Love brings life, not judgment. But the world, that the world might find wholeness, sozo, and be made safe and sound through him. The Amplified, I don't know if you know there are difference in translations. There are literal translations and there are paraphrased translations. A literal translation is the translator's attempt to do a word for word uh, out of the original Greek and Hebrew. Now, the Amplified is actually a literal. They're, what they did in the Amplified, they're attempting to put the definition of words into the verse to help clarify. And I like using it as a reference. I reference probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 different translations regularly. But it's, it's one that I like. But you can see here, they said that the world might be, the, the New King James says saved through him, sozo. What do they put in there? Made safe and sound, because that's what sozo means. Jesus has made us safe and sound. What does sound mean? Free from defect, decay, or damage. Free from injury or disease. A health that is deep and unbroken, unshakable, thorough, complete, and perfect. How do I know that? I've studied and memorized it. It's what has helped me to receive the healing God's provided for me. I studied sozo in the Scriptures, and I found God has provided wholeness for me and for you. Wholeness. So John 3.16 in the message translation. Wait, wait, we didn't finish it, did we? Safe and sound through him. Yeah, let's read verse 18, I'm sorry, in the Amplified. Just the beginning. He who believes in him, not he who does everything right, 
He who puts his faith in Jesus, what does that mean? Clings to, trusts in, relies on. You can't cling to him if you're feeling condemned. How are you going to hold on to someone if you think they're condemning you? You turn from them, right? God doesn't want you to feel that way. He wants you to grab a hold of him and never let go. Trust in him, rely on him. Is not judged. If I trust in him, he doesn't judge me. I love that. He who trusts in him never, never comes up for judgment. Are you kidding me? Nope. Never comes up for judgment. Never. No matter what. That's a superlative statement. Jesus is a superlative God. He did it once for all, didn't he? It's the sacrifice once for all, Hebrews tells us. Never comes up for judgment. For him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. How much, how much judgment is there for you now if you're in Christ? None. How about rejection? None. How about condemnation? None. How about damnation? None. Because you're in Christ. Now verse 16 in the message translation says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son. His one and only Son. And this is why. Why did He do this? So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. The message is a paraphrase translation. A paraphrase translation is when they try and take the literal original text and paraphrase it in contemporary language. Sometimes I think the message is great. There's other times I think they totally miss it. But so for my main Bible reading, I like to use a literal translation. I like to go with a word for word, but I reference all kinds of translations to get a, to get a, a better understanding. So I reference the message as well. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Bingo. They got it right on that one. Right? Because that's what sozo means. A whole lasting life. That's God. That's what he's done. Okay? So we're living the dream. Now, are you ready? Can you handle a little bit more? Is it okay? I mean, do you want to be really free? You want to be totally free? Just, just run, run, never look back free. Then I'm going to give you a little more. Every father has gifts and dreams for their children. It comes with being a dad. It just comes with being a parent. There are dreams and gifts popping up inside of you for your kids. Now, we're limited as natural people in, in, in our own ability to what we can do, but God's not. God has dreams and gifts sprouting up inside of him for you. And he's not limited. God has for you, through his son, wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment every day for the rest of your life. I know people get mad at me for saying it, but I say it anyway because it's true. God has gifts and dreams for you. And the fundamental reality of what he desires for you is wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment. 
God's gifts and dreams for our lives are revealed to us through his promises. Remember 2 Peter 1 verse 4? It's through the promises of God that we experience the nature of God. God's promises reveal to us who he is, what he's done for us in Christ, and who we are now in Christ. All right? So God has wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment for you personally in 2017. And it's all by his grace. You're qualified. Your part is to simply believe it. Not based on what I said, but based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So you'll find God's promises cover all three of these areas. Wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment. God has always, Abba Father, has always wanted these for his children. I mean, if you'll go back before the fall, when God restored the earth in Genesis chapter 1, it was a paradise. And if you'll look before sin, God put Adam right in the center of it. Wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment. There were no storms, there were no tornadoes, no earthquakes, uh, no thorns in the earth, if you study it out. No rain. A mist rose from the ground. It's beyond what you can imagine. This earth is nothing like it was when it was created. We're living in a fallen world that's falling apart. So don't base how good God is on what you see around you. Even in its fallen state, it's beautiful and it's amazing, but it's not even close to what he designed it to be. It's falling apart. It's deteriorating. Okay? It's not our home. All right? So in, we see it before. There are three places, right, to see the will of God clearly in the Scriptures. Before sin, before the fall, in the ministry of Jesus, and after Satan's bound in Revelation. And in every single place, you'll see wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment. That's what Jesus brought. All right? You'll see that. We see it in Abraham's life, right? A man that, that lived among moon worshipers, and God called him to walk away from that stuff, to leave, leave his surroundings, as his family was probably caught up in it too, right? And to follow God to a place he didn't know where he was going. Abraham had no law. He was 400-some years before the law. He just had a word from, from God. He took him at his word. And what did God do? Wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment in his life. Abraham became so prosperous that kings feared him. We see it in his kid's life. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel. Right? We see it in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in the church in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Before all the persecution broke out. They were so, everyone's needs were met. They were so prosperous. They were selling homes and bringing in the, the, the um, proceeds of the sale of the homes into the church. This is what God desires for us, and it's not too late for it to happen in your life. God's not depleted in 2017. He's not tired. He's the same. He has endless resources. He has a ways of getting things done that need to get done in your life that you can't come up with. And he's ready. Are you ready? Thank you for doing it, Lord. So we're living the dream in 2017. Let's say it together. We're living the dream in 2017. We're living the dream in 2017. God's grace is the dream fulfiller. God's grace is the dream fulfiller. It's the power that enables God 
God's dreams to be fulfilled in your life. And that's what it is. He's supernatural. Don't limit him. Don't try and stuff him into that little box. Come on. He's supernatural. He can do things that man can't do. He's beyond what we can do and comprehend. And we're just going to let him be God. So as his sons and daughters, we're led by his Holy Spirit in our lives. Not by man's conclusions. Not by man's reasonings, but by the very Spirit of God. And we're letting him lead us. We're letting us, letting him do what he wants to do in our lives. Listen, we've all fallen short. We've all blown it. But, but, but Abba Father made up the difference through Jesus Christ. All right? Now, we talked about Zerubbabel. You remember Zerubbabel? Last Sunday, our good old buddy Zerubbabel. Well, let's look at Zechariah 4, verse 6 again. God has made up the difference in your life. He's covered your shortcomings through the sacrifice of his son. He's already done it, and it's by his grace. Now, if you remember, just a quick review on Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was born in captivity in Babylon, right? He was of the tribe of Judah. He became the governor, excuse me, the king of uh, Cyrus, I believe it was, of Persia, appointed Zerubbabel governor of Judah, okay? Zerubbabel was in the lineage of the Messiah. There are three people predominantly in the Old Testament that are addressed sometimes specifically as the Messiah, David, Solomon, and Zerubbabel, prophetically speaking. Okay? So he's an important guy. What was Zerubbabel's calling on his life from last week? you remember? To return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, which was rubble. It was destroyed. Significant calling. Okay? The temple represented, you know, the presence of God, the covenant that God had, them being his people. It's very powerful, okay? So Zerubbabel goes back with a, with a, a team appointed by the king, and they're so excited. It's, it's, it was a celebratory time, and within, I think it was 14 months, they had cleared away the rubble, and they laid the foundation of the temple, but then something happened. Hindrances came. The Samaritans started accusing them of things, political pressure, and the work stopped. And they went through hindrances and delays for years and years and years. It was 15 or 16 years later, and they never got beyond practically the foundation. The work had stopped. So Rubabel, I'm sure, felt like a failure, felt like it was too late for him, that he had missed God's calling on his life. And, and, but, but something happened that changed his life. What was it? He won the lottery. He won the Rhode Island numbers. He hit it big. No, he didn't win the lottery. He got a promise from God. That's what will change your life. I don't think I've ever played a lottery. Why? Because I've got a promise from God. I don't need a scratch ticket, man. I've got Jesus. He's my provider. Glory to God. Woo! I scratched my ticket and said, Jesus! Salvation! So he gets this promise from God. Let's read it. So imagine, can you imagine after 15 years of failure what you'd feel like? I can. <laughs> At least I think I can. I don't know. You can't always perfectly relate to someone, but I'm getting the idea, right? 
We've all been through failures. Then he said to me, this is from the prophet Zechariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might. What's he talking about? Man's power, man's might. Not by power, not by your strength, not by your know-it-all, not by your do-it-yourself, Zerubbabel, but by my spirit this is going to get done, says the Lord of hosts. And I'm going to show you how, Zerubbabel. Verse 7, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. What's the mountain he's speaking to? Right? The failure, right? The, the, the hindrances that have gotten in the way of him doing what God called him to do. He says, mountain, you're going to become a plain. I'm going to level you. And Zerubbabel's going to bring forward the top stone. Zerubbabel's going to fulfill his calling. How? By shouting grace, grace to it. What is grace? The operational power of God. In other words, Zerubbabel, you're calling the dreams I have for you are going to be finished by you putting your faith in, the, in my power, by you opening up your mouth and declaring my power as the authority of your life. What do we shout with? This thing, right? That we put pie in, right? Same thing. This is my pumpkin pie eater right here. We shout with our mouths, right? Why, do we, why did he say shout? Why did he say use your mouth? Why didn't he say, okay, I've got this three to five year plan, Zerubbabel. Here's, the, here's our method of operation. We're going to try this business strategy. No, he said, open up your mouth and shout grace. That is not a man-made solution. That isn't. This is supernatural. Why do we open up our mouths and shout grace? Because it is with your mouth that authority is established in your life. Whose authority? Whoever you declare. It's our mouth that determines the quality of our life. This is not a new age philosophy. Proverbs 18.21. This is Bible through and through. Authority is released with our mouths. That could be good or bad, depending on what's coming out of your mouth. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are what? In the power of the tongue. Whose tongue? Your tongue. Listen, God set it up this way. This has been so misunderstood. God in his sovereignty gave you authority over your own life. I know there are religious people who would be mad at me for saying that. But it's true. God in his sovereignty chose to give you authority over your own life. Why? Because he made us in his image. We're free people. I can, I can put my, myself under the authority of anyone I choose or not. It's my choice. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. So it's not up to God. right? Whether or not his calling and dream is fulfilled in my life is not up to him. It's up to me. I know this is new to some. Because some have told you that everything that happens is God's will. and Just whatever will be, will be. No! That is not the truth. Jesus did not demonstrate or teach that or example that ever. God doesn't teach that in the Scriptures. He says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. And they that love it shall eat its fruit. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We're just going to hit a few Scriptures on this. But boy, there's a ton of them. He says, if you, not God... If you personally use your pie eater, right, if you confess 
with your mouth. What did he say to Zerubbabel? Open up your mouth. Declare with your mouth. I can't do this for you. I've got the power, but you've got the mouth. Just open it and let my power flow. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, the mouth releases the authority over my life. God can't save me if I don't open up my mouth. I have to open up my mouth and say, Jesus, you're now the authority over my life. And no one can make me do that. It's a choice. I open up my mouth. I declare Jesus Lord of my body, Lord of my heart, Lord of my mind, right? Lord of every aspect of my life. And I believe in my heart. There's the faith. So we speak with our mouth. We release the authority. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the what? So he was dead. Just reading the Bible. From the dead, you will be, what's that word? Sozo again. All over the New Testament, you'll be made whole. If you open up your mouth and declare the authority of Jesus Christ over your life and believe in your heart, in the resurrection, you will be made whole. Another scripture, Mark eleven twenty three, 23. Zerubbabel, open up your mouth. Release the authority. Let my power flow. And this project's going to get done. Jesus said it this way. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever, it's open to anybody because we're all made in the image of God, right? Whoever says, what do we say with? To this mountain, what did the prophet say to Zerubbabel? Oh, mountain, right? You're going to become like a plain when he opens up his mouth. Who says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, there's a heart again, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Not whatever God wills, whatever he says. I'm just reading the text. And the reason I'm saying that is because people are, are afraid to speak to the situation of their lives because they've been conditioned by man's thinking. God wants you to open up your mouth and speak life to your life. Speak to the situations and circumstances of your life. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. When you shout grace to the unfinished, unfulfilled, frustrated areas of your life, you're giving God's resurrection power the right of way in your life. We got to look at one more example, then we're done. Is it all right? I'm trying to fly here to get through this. I don't want you to leave without getting, getting this little thing. Can you handle a little more? All right. Hallelujah. See, when I open up my mouth, I'm letting the spiritual forces of darkness know whose life my authority is under, whose authority my life is under, right? I'm letting people know. I, 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 well, not so much people. I'm letting spirits of darkness know because we're in a spiritual world. I'm letting them know I'm not living by my own strength. I'm not living by my own power. I'm living by God's power. All right, last one. Here we go. Let's finish this up. How are we doing? Do we need a stretch or jump up and down a little bit? We're okay. Go, Jesus. Hallelujah. So now this, you see this principle throughout the Word. God tells them to open up their mouth. Open up their mouth. Shout grace to it. Shout grace to it. Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Man, this is, uh, well, we'll start in chapter 5. Hold on a second here. Now, you know who Joshua was, right? He was Moses' successor, right? So now Moses 
led the people to the promised land, but he couldn't go in. Why? You remember what he did? God instructed Moses to speak, open his mouth, because what? God's people wanted water. Moses was to open his mouth and speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He got mad. He was like one of the holding up his sign, right? He got mad at God's people because they were, they were not hard. It was easy to get mad at them. They were stubborn, right? So Moses put up his sign, right? And then he struck the rock twice. That disqualified him, right? Because God wanted to demonstrate to his people that his promises are received by opening up our mouth and speaking. Moses was supposed to display that before him, but he didn't. Man's anger cannot bring about the fulfillment of God's plans. Didn't James say that? The anger of man cannot bring about the righteousness of God. So here's Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 now. Moses has gone home to heaven, right? And it came to pass when, this is verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. It wasn't Luke Skywalker. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? You're going to see who this man was right here. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord. You know who this is yet? It's Jesus. Am I now come? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? If this was an angel, the angel would have stopped Joshua right away. Say, get up to your feet. I'm just a servant. I'm just sent by God. But he didn't. This was Jesus. Right? You see that? And the captain, where did I stop it? The Lord unto his servant. Yeah. And the captain of the Lord, verse 15, and the captain of the Lord's host. I love that name of Jesus the captain of the host, the general of his army, said unto Joshua, loose your shoes from thy foot. Listen, when you get ready to do work, you've got to have good shoes on. Take your shoes off. This is my power. This is my strength. Let me do the work. Take your shoes off for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua, listen, it's a holy calling. God has made you for a holy purpose. And the only way it's going to happen is if you take your shoes off. I'm talking about stop living by your own strength. Open up your mouth and shout grace to every area of your life. Grace, grace, grace. Okay, I, I'm going to have to wind this up quick. I'm sorry. Woo, so much here. Let me think about this. Is there a way we can do this? Uh, I really do try and limit how long this. We are doing this by grace. Hallelujah. So let me summarize it. Okay. So basically what was about to happen, they were coming into the promised land. Okay. On the threshold, ready to take it. In front of them was the first mountain, the first obstacle. What was it? You know, the city of Jericho, a, a modern fortified, you know, latest weaponry city, had walls around the entire city. And now understand that the previous generation had died off, the ones that said were grasshoppers and they're giants. But this current generation, probably some of those voices from grandma and grandpa came back, right? Oh, these people were giants. How are we going to take this? They have a walled city, right? 
So their first objective to, is to overcome this obstacle of Jericho, right? Jesus comes, and he tells, he tells Joshua, I'm going to do this, right? This is not based on your feet, your strength, your sandals. It's based on my power. So Jericho in, in chapter one, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, I'm just going to kind of summarize as we go through for time's sake, was right, right ahead of them. It was shut up. And they knew Israel was out there. They're ready to resist them. And the Lord says unto Joshua, See, I have given into your hand Jericho. Sure didn't look like that, right? And the king thereof and, and the mighty men of valor. And then he tells them to compass the city, all your men of war, go around the city once, and you shall do this six days. And look what he says. And seven priests, verse 4 of chapter 6, shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. What are those? Praise. Right? Praise. Seven and seven days you shall praise me. Right? You shall compass a city, letting, letting the band just blow it. Right? Praise. Turn up the volume. Right? Seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. I want praise to go for it, praise and grace, right? So God always instructs his people with weapons of praise. Why? 2 Corinthians 10, 4, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're powerful. They're supernatural. We open up our mouths. We praise him. We declare Jesus Lord of our situation. And what happened in the following verses? Verse 5, it says, You shall come to pass, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall what did he say, Zerubbabel? Shout, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Anyone who, who says to this mountain, right? Shout with a great shout. You've got to be confident to have a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat. You ready for some walls to fall down flat in your life? Let's stand to our feet. I thank you for your patience. And we're really being, trying to be sensitive, endeavoring to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit during our time together. Sometimes it's longer or shorter. We just go with the flow. Okay? Now, here you are. It's you. You're here. You're in the room. What are the unfulfilled, frustrating, failure-like areas in your life? What are they? God has provided wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment for you in every one of those areas. Every one. But you got to open up your mouth. You got to start shouting grace. What is that? That's my personal acknowledgement of his power in my life. I've taken off my sandal. I say, God, I can't do this. It's got to be you. It's got to be your power. It's got to be your love. It's got to be your wisdom. It's got to be your spirit. I can't do this. That's humility, right? But with you, I can do all things through Christ. So I want you to think of those areas now. And I've begun doing this since the Lord started putting this on my heart. I don't remember how long ago it was. Every time a discouraging thought or a challenge would come up, you know what I do? Grace. I don't do this to people. They think you're crazy, right? I just do this in my own life as I'm going throughout my day, you know? I saw a, a fear, a worry. I look at that. That thing's been like this for years. It ain't not going to change. Grace. Grace. But you've been like this for so long or that hasn't happened. Grace. But you're a failure. Look what so-and-so said. Look at all this. Grace. 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 So you got those areas in front of you? Right. You're ready for mountains to be leveled? 
Hallelujah. Valleys to be filled up. For the rough places made straight. We're thinking them. We're looking at them right here. When I point, we're going to shout grace. Are you ready? Grace. 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 Grace to my life. Grace to your bodies. Grace to your minds. Grace to your families. Grace to your life. Grace to God's calling on your life. Grace to your finances. Grace to every area of our lives. We shout grace. 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 Thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. Hallelujah. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.